This is Leadership in Action, and I'm Casey Cheshire. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of Boston area innovators. Sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization, this is Leadership in Action. There it is. We're live. We are on. The light is flashing. The sirens are blaring. This is time. Another amazing episode, and I'm excited to introduce the guest today. He is a business leader, an innovator, and in my opinion, all around total badass, logistics supply chain expert, graduate of West Point, where he then served as an infantry officer in the U.S. Army. And don't get me started about how badass the infantry is. They're the ones that actually get stuff done. That's what I'm talking about. MBA from HBS. That's right. Harvard CEO at Mercury Business Services, Josh Meadow. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Casey. Uh, yeah, I know you were a Marine infantryman, so got a lot in common. That's it, man. We got stuff done, right? We're boots <laughs> on the ground. Yeah, exactly. Making it happen. Well, hey, I'm excited you're here today. I can't wait to learn from you. I've got my notepad ready. I've got the pencil. It's got lead in it. It's ready to rock. Um, so I want to just ask you this. Share and smash for me some kind of misconception, a myth, a bogus strategy about being a leader or being an entrepreneur or running a business. Yeah, awesome. So yeah, the myth I want to smash is that you have to have a great idea to be an entrepreneur. You know, I think a lot of people want to be entrepreneurs, but they wait. They're waiting for some perfect idea to come up, um, and they never take the plunge. And they're people who are you know naturally entrepreneurs. It's the right fit for them, but they just feel like they have to wait. Um, you know, I bought a company, um, and we could talk about that later. How that works. You know, I think when I tell people that, they assume that like my family gave me a bunch of money, which is not the case, and anybody could do it. Uh, right. We can talk about that, but I think that there's a lot of past on entrepreneurship. Starting a company is one, um, but buying a company is another, um, and I think it's a really valid path, and I, I think it's um, something more people should think about. Interesting. So why, why, where does this, this misconception come from? Why do people think that you, you have to have that great idea and that the idea is so valuable? Yeah, I think that you know, we just, you know, you, everybody looks at the startup world, and in the startup world, you have to come up with an idea that you're disrupting something or you've got something new. Yeah, you think about like Facebook or Amazon or some sort of new startup like that. Um, and I think people don't know that buying a company is a thing you can do. Um, and that's a path to entrepreneurship. They probably don't know how to do that. I didn't know how to do it until I went through the MBA program. Um, and so, you know, I think it's different. I think that there's some significant differences between buying and starting a company. Um, and, and I could talk about that, but I yeah. just think that people don't know. Yeah, they just they have no idea. Right. We watch we're watching TV and it's like, oh, Zuckerberg did this thing. I guess that's how we all do it. And I think, you know, before we get into the how, yeah, just the idea of how important ideas are, you know, I think the cliche is that the idea, you know, isn't really worth anything, but it's true that, you know, idea was a dime or dozen for ideas. And, you know, you can't feed your family with ideas. And, and I think people just wait. They think that, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur, like, you know, like some Mark Zuckerberg or, or Jeff Bezos, but they think that they have to wait till they have this brilliant idea that nobody else has ever thought of to pursue entrepreneurship. And it's definitely not that because I, I'm here today to tell everyone in the the, the CEO Boston community that uh, I actually invented Uber. Uh, well, at least I did a couple of years before Uber. I was a friend and I were like, yeah, we, we should have an app that calls a taxi for you. That'd be cool. <laughs> and then, we, we, then we're like, what should we call it? And we got stuck on the name. We're like, I don't know. Um, and then we just never did anything. We didn't do any development, no software whatsoever. So guess what? I didn't actually invent Uber, but we had the idea. But the idea was worth, how much is that worth today, Casey? A zero. <laughs> so that idea was worth it. It's all about the execution, you know, in the end. 
Um, so I think people get trapped there. Tell me about the idea. You learned how to buy a business. I think a lot of us maybe have created them, um, but have also entertained buying them, but not necessarily know the steps. So what, what really goes into that? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is you got to kind of think about what you're trying to buy. Um, you know, I, I, there's some criteria I was looking for a stable business that's been around for many years, has customers. Um, you know, I think that there's kind of like four things or four differences, I should say, between like buying and starting a company. And oh, yeah. I was looking for a lot of things that come with that. Um, and then you spend as long as it takes to find the right company, um, something that kind of fits you, um, fits your strengths and, and fits the criteria you're looking for. And you've got to find someone who's, who's looking for you to run their company. That's interesting. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe we should even start with, I mean, I have questions on that, but, but, but that you have that, uh, that list. So tell me that the, the comparison of buying versus starting, what, what have you seen the differences yeah. be? Yeah, I think there's like, so I think there's kind of four key differences between buying and starting a company. So one, when you buy a company, you already have product market fit, right? So if you're a startup, that's all you're thinking about. What exactly is our product? Who exactly are our customers? When you buy a business, you come in and there already is product market fit. You know, for 37 years, Mercury's had customers um, and they've been serving them. So, you know, you, it kind of takes your focus and allows you to focus more on how to improve what's already there versus trying to figure something out in the first place. Um, second, you already have a team, right? You're the founder of the company or that the previous owner has a team. They hired a team, they run the company, they know what they're doing. Um, it's a huge difference than you coming in, starting a company and trying to figure that out. Um, huge, I right? I mean, people, it runs on the people, man. People's everything. Yeah, and, and having people who already know what they're doing is huge. I mean, you don't have to <laughs> yeah. teach them. They've already figured it out. They know better than you when you're coming in. Um, and third, you know, you already have customers. Um, so, you know, again, you think about you're a startup. Uh, you're doing market research, trying to figure out exactly what we should do. What do customers want? We already have customers. So I was able to spend a lot of time interviewing customers, seeing what they need, why they use us, what we could do better for them. Okay. It's, it's uh, much more efficient for you to figure out how to better serve customers when you actually have them versus you trying to guess what some potential customer might want. Wow. Um, and then I think the other big difference is you're profitable from day one, right? So you're probably going to buy a business that's already profitable. Um, very different than in the startup world. You've got, a, you know, when you have a run rate and you're looking at your cash burn every day and how we can only, you know, last six months at this rate and we have to raise more money. When you acquire an existing profitable business, you don't have to do that. It's everything flips. Uh, really the, the biggest thing is don't break it. This thing's been running for a while. It's been working successfully. You don't want to come in and break it. And so you're, it allows you to focus a lot more on how to improve the current system, how to, you know, then grow it versus coming in day one and being really frantic at, you know, we've got this run rate that we need to make sure, you know, we've got enough money coming in to keep the business running. You don't have any of that. I can see how it's completely different. There's like two distinctly different adventures you're going on, you're choosing to go on. Yeah. And I think that both are, you know, entrepreneurship. I think, um, you know, when you start a company, yeah, it's, you've got to have that great idea and you've got to come up with how, how that's actually going to work and how you're going to serve your customers. But when you acquire a company, you're in the same shoes as that, as you know, you're the owner of, of a business. So in terms of like pursuing uh, things that are outside of what you are initially do, that's entrepreneurship. And, and that's what you do as a leader. Absolutely. So they really are both entrepreneurship. And, you know, I even, I even Googled it as I was listening to your story, an entrepreneur, a person who organizes and operates a business or businesses taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. I think it really all comes down to that risk. Like you're, you're organizing, you're operating a business and you're, you're taking a lot of the heat. 
you know, you are the, you're the cook in the kitchen and that nothing's in there about necessarily founding it versus buying it. You're the one running it. Yeah. I think a lot of people just don't know that that's an option. People just think, you know, buying a business is impossible. You've got to be wealthy or, you know, parents give you money or something, um, which isn't the case, but I think that people think that. Your list is so good. I'm not sure why I'd want to found another company again. So maybe you could tell me the downsides before I go buy a business like this very moment. <laughs> um, the downsides, it's tough. Uh, it's tough to do. It's tough to find the right business. Um, you've got to really know yourself pretty well. You've got to know what you're looking for. Um, you got to find a company that really fits you um, and your strengths. And I think that's tough. I think that it's not easy. You know, it took me, I spent about 19 months looking to buy a business. Uh, the business that I closed was my third LOI. I had two previous uh, businesses that I signed uh, LOI. It's a letter of intent. Um, I went through due diligence on, um, and those ended up not working out. So it's, it's not an easy process to search for and acquire a business. Could you talk us through that process and maybe, you know, some of the, the ones that didn't work? I mean, you don't have to name any names, but just, you know, what was that like? You were, what kind of steps did you take? And then, you know, describe even the LOI process. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, so I decided I wanted to uh, search for and acquire a business right after I graduated from business school. Um, I was just in the army before that. And so I talked with my wife about it. We decided that, you know, we'd live off of her salary for um, two years. She gave me two years to do it. Um, and, you know, yeah, she wasn't making much. We like, we figured out like how much discretionary income we could have. We would go to Apple cinemas in um, Somerville. I don't know if you know it, but they have like Tuesday night, like $3 movie night. It was awesome. That was like our weekly date. <laughs> and so you, got, you know for, you got to have date night man that that is your your primary shareholder right there you got to keep her happy yeah that was absolutely critical i'm so thankful that she was as committed to it as me and gina's dad's a small business owner he's a farmer in washington state um and so she was kind of you know she was very supportive because she saw the career that he has and i knew it was uh, you know a great he had a great family life and a great career because of that and, and that um you know she wanted the same for us so, you know, basically I started off talking to intermediaries, you know, there's business brokers who, uh, if somebody's looking to sell their business, they go to a broker. Um, I spent about six months doing that, just talking to brokers all over the U.S., looking at different businesses. Um, my first LOI I signed was with a landscaping company, um, which I think is a, a great industry. I think it's really interesting. It'll be around forever. You know, it's not going away. Um, I just kind of learned more about that particular business. And, you know, the owner wasn't really looking to retire. Um, I think that's kind of a key uh, thing you're looking for when you're looking to acquire a business, you really want to find uh, an owner who's retiring, who's selling their business for the right reason. You don't want someone who's saying, you know, this year was my best year ever. I'm going to sell because of that. Um, because, you know, they always know more than you. They've been running the company for years. Um, and there's yeah. just some things that you're never going to know until you're there. Um, and so it's critical to know like why they're selling. And that one wasn't retiring. So what, what signal was that sending? Yeah, that sent to me, it was like, you, you know, this really isn't the right fit. Like, how do I know he's not going to come back in a year or two years and start his own company and compete with me? And, you know, he's going to be way better at it than I am. I've never done this before. Yeah. I mean, you could put a non-compete in there, right? But either way, it's messy. Yeah. Do I want to like end up in court over that? And yeah, exactly. He takes the whole team over to the new place and you got to like duke it out in court. And ugh. Yeah. And, and it's got some of, you know, like the lemons problem, like when you're buying a used car, like whoever's selling it just knows way more than you do. So if, they're, if they don't have the right reason to sell, they, they just know more than you do. You don't know what it is. Maybe there's some problem coming up in their industry or you know, some pending lawsuit or something you, you just don't know anything about. Um, yeah. It's so, one of the things that's true. 
Yeah, one of the things I learned there too is you know it's really critical that you find um, someone who's selling a business that you can really trust. Like their integrity is absolutely critical because they know everything about the business, all of you know the skeleton in the closet or the lack thereof, and you just got to trust them. Um, and I found that that was really critical. What were you getting? Kind of the weird vibe that not only were they not retiring, but you couldn't quite trust this process. That first one, yeah, and I would you know I. I had been looking for a company for like three or four months. I didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. So the problem was probably as much me as him. You know, I think my offer, I didn't understand the details around reps and warranties and working capital and how that all actually works. So I think a lot of that was me learning more than anything. No doubt. No doubt. Um, Okay. So that one, that one broke. Um, I went back to searching um, for a business, talking to brokers. I I found another company. This one was a printing company. Um, And they had a great business. They had this like geographic monopoly. Um, they kind of bought up and taken over every printing business for like a 200 mile radius, um, which I thought was, you know, really interesting. They had this great niche. Um, and yeah, again, you know, I went out, spent some time with them. That was two owners. And I found that everything was reliant on them. They had no sales team. I went around their plant with them. Everywhere we went, they were correcting people. It's like, well, look, these guys have 20 years experience. I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, how could I possibly come in and replace them? Uh, when, when they're doing everything. Wow. Huge sign, man. Um, that, and I love that you picked up on that you walked around with them and they were correcting people and that like, you would hope that you get to a business to a certain point that you have your people correcting your people or the systems correcting the system. But if you're the one still doing it, then you're right, man, it's dependent on you. And that reminds me of, um, I, I, this is like a very fraction of what you've done here, but I once thought about buying a little coffee shop at, at one of the ski resorts nearby that we always go to and get a little coffee and breakfast in the morning. And, and the owner shared the, uh, he, he had told me, Oh, it just takes, you know, half a, half an employee to run this thing. No big deal. You know, part-time gals come in, it's all good. But when you look at the, um, when you, he shared, I think he shared his, uh, some basic PL with me. When I talked to the staff, you, you realize that he and his wife were in there all the time. So she was the baker. He was the, the, the back room cook. Like he was the short order cook. So it's not like, Oh, this thing only takes half an employee. It takes the owner. And they were like completely involved. And if you bought this thing, now you become a short order cook too. So it sounds like you were getting these vibes, you know, walking through the plant. Yeah, I think it's you know really impressive when a business owner creates a business that's not dependent on them. That's yeah. not easy to do. Amen. Um, totally. It's really hard. Um, and that's what I was looking for. Um, right. And the business I ultimately bought, you know, my, the founder of the company, the owners, they did an incredible job building a team, creating processes, so it wasn't dependent on them. Um, so you know, customer calls don't come into them. They're not the only ones who know how to do everything. So I, I think that's really rare and very impressive, and something you're looking for as a as a buyer. So tell me about the, the third and final one. What kind yeah, so of I, what's that? Yeah, so I um, you know, I spent a lot of time just looking to find the right company. Um and I met the owner. Um, he's in Boston. I, I was searching for Boston. So I we went out and got dinner, um, got a chance to meet him. And you know, I think we just have a lot in common. We like see the world in a very similar way. Um, I could tell that we just like carried ourselves in similar ways. Um, and you know, he has incredible integrity. I, I trust him, you know, completely. And as I learned more and more about the business, I just learned how unique and interesting the business is and how he really created this great system that wasn't dependent on him. It has a lot of potential um, with an incredible team. And I think our average employee has been with Mercury for like 14 years. 
So as I started learning everything, I learned more about the company, who the customers were, the employees, everything is excited me. It fit my criteria. So that I spent sounds, that sounds so good, especially after all the other situations where it's like, mm, I don't know. And then here it's like, man, it's almost like a blessing just handed to you. So so how do you how do you gather up enough funds? Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, living on the the wife's paycheck, you're you're out of the army, you know, you maybe maybe a little bit of combat pay, but that stuff doesn't add up very quickly, you know. So so how do you get the funds to acquire a gem like this? Yeah, I mean, the, the U.S. government has this incredible system through the SBA, the Small Business Administration, uh, called a 7A loan. And those 7A loans are incredible. They're backed by the government. Um, they're perfectly designed for acquiring a business. You know, I think they fit exactly what the SBA is looking for. The SBA doesn't want small businesses to be shut down. They want them to be continued to the next generation. Um, and, you know, as a seller, you could try and sell to some larger company who's going to, you know, consolidate your your company in there, you know, fire your employees. And I think the right. government's interest is to have these businesses continue to run. Um, and so I was able to get a loan um, through a, a local bank um, with a great banker um, who uh, provided an SBA loan. And then I reached out to my business school classmates and, and raised some funding from them. Um, and, and that was enough. Um, Do you recommend the bank? Yeah, uh, Middlesex Savings Bank. They're awesome. They're just an incredible bank. Shout out to those guys. Yeah, they've been a great partner. Backing yeah, up entrepreneurs SBA. since 1965. I'd have made that up. <laughs> I have no idea. But okay, yeah. So great bank and man, the SBA swooping in. Did you, but in terms of like collateral, did you have to write them over some children or how did that work? <laughs> so you personally guarantee it. Um, okay. So that, back to your point about entrepreneurship and taking risks, you personally guarantee the loans. So you've got to really believe in what you're doing. Um, so there's some risk there for sure. Definitely. That I mean, this this is the risk podcast, essentially, right? <laughs> we we talk about everything else, but that's what it really all comes down to is we're all we're all kind of walking that tightrope. Um, did you did you you know if this is too much prying, let me know. But did was it all on the bank? Were there earnouts in other ways? Because I, personally, guaranteeing a you know a substantial business sounds like a really scary thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did a lot of diligence. And I, yeah. I learned a lot about the company. I talked to them for months. To- to learn everything. So I felt really comfortable with it. Um, I don't think earnouts are a good idea. I think that they often lead to conflicts. Um, so I don't have an earnout. I, th- I think that's like a, yeah, I just don't think that's the best system for, for either party. Um, I can see situations where it makes sense, but I think in this situation, it doesn't. So I, you know, I just learned everything I could. I, I found the owner to be really trustworthy and thought it was worth the risk. Yes. You know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that too, because we just had that episode with Glenn Glenn Grant, he was like, you don't need to do an earnout. So it's kind of cool that you guys actually, your ideas both mesh. And if yeah. you're listening to this episode, go listen to Glenn's. And if you're listening to Glenn's, listen to this one. Uh, so not the earnout. Um, awesome, man. What was it like? Was there a transition period? How, how do you start at that? It's like, are you the adopted parent now? How do you, how do you get into that? Yeah. I mean, one of the good things there is that I was an army officer beforehand and three times I took over a platoon that, you know, was already there. Um, so it wasn't like a new situation to me, but, you know, I, um, there's a coffee shop across the street. Uh, the owners told uh, all the employees one at a time. Um, they came over one at a time. I met them. Um, wow. So it was like a stressful situation. I tried to, you know, I know everyone's first thought there. They hear their business is being acquired. They think, you know, what about my job? So I tried to make sure it was very clear that nothing's changing. You know, I'm excited to learn from you. I know that, you know, you've been here for years. I haven't. Uh, I know you know what you're doing and I'm just here to learn from you. Um, 
And so that, and that was in January of 2020. So you think, you know, two or three months in was COVID. Um, the company oh, had never man, been remote dude. before. <laughs> man. So, yeah. That was uh, exciting. But that coffee shop thing, what a, what a, that's a, that's a baller move right there. That's how it also seems like a Marcus Lemonis like TV show profit moment where you're like, come on in. I'm, I'm the boss now, but you, you, I'm, I can imagine you sitting there just trying to like give confidence and comfort to these people. Like, don't worry. Like this is a new looking back. Would you do the coffee shop that did, was that intimacy good versus like 300 people or whatever, all seeing you at once and presenting like that? Oh, I thought it was great to meet one-on-one uh, just yeah. to show like I am a real person. And, um, you know, it's funny talking to some of my employees now, you know, they are worried that about their job and you're worried that they're going to stay with the company. Yeah. So you're, you know, as we talk about it now, it's like, you know, we both were worried about things that the other person wasn't even thinking about. They were thinking they're going to lose their job. I'm thinking that they're going to decide to leave. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of yeah, like either a funny you situation. Want that and you're both worried yeah. about it. <laughs> so yeah, I just found, you know, I just have to be, you know, very personable, like just, you know, be completely honest, like nothing's changing. I don't know much, but I'm here to learn from you. Right. Um, I thought like doing that one-on-one was, was great. Oh, amazing. Amazing. You know, real quick, you, you've mentioned integrity several times. It seems like it's really core to the process. I'm sure you, you gained a lot of this in the army, but talk to us about the integrity in, I mean, it's not just a buzzword, but it was, it was a part of all of the, the, the processes, the diligence, vetting things out you sense something is, was there a way you could tell someone had integrity versus not? Do you have any tips for us? Yeah. I mean, as you start doing due diligence and you start digging into everything, you'll quickly see, you know, uh, how, you know, are their financial statements? How are they creating them? Are they running personal expenses through them? You know, are they tell everything they tell you when you talk to somebody else at the company about it, do they say the same thing? Um, and I just found that, you know, anytime you see something that you're kind of confused about or, or, you know, suspicious of, and you start digging in, you'll see pretty quickly that, you know, either they do everything right. And, and these are people with great integrity or they don't. Um, and that was something, you know, I think that you kind of can rely on your instinct there. Um, you just kind of learn it. And I spent a lot of time talking to them. I, I spent probably six months, you know, once a week we'd go, we'd meet for lunch. They tell me about the business. I was just learning more and more um, so that I was prepared when I took over that, I, you know, I knew something. You know, that's fascinating because I think a lot of times in the stories we hear, maybe it's the, the movie, the TV shows, or even maybe the stories we tell each other in, in meetings and events is you kind of hear about the, the, the coffee shop moment maybe, but what you didn't hear about, you know, like running a marathon, what you didn't hear about was the six months where you were meeting with the owners, learning the business and hearing their stories and also hearing people all give you the answer to the same question is, and you're looking at the details saying, is everyone saying the same thing or do we have some fudging going on here? Like all that work, nobody talks about, uh, but you put that work in to, to suss it out. Yeah. At the same time, you know, you're doing all of the legal agreements for the purchase and the credit agreement with the bank and for raising money. And, you know, like there's like big private equity firms, they've got, you know, 10 person deal teams figuring this out when you're just like a small entrepreneur buying a, buying a small business, that's just you. So you've got to kind of figure it all out on your own. Um, but I really enjoyed that. I thought I learned a ton. Um, and I think it's a great experience to do it. Yeah, man. So cool. So cool. Uh, I'm sure that has a lot of uh, folks listening to this thinking, shit, I spent a lot of time, you know, innovating and trying to pr- find product market fit. I'd love to just, you know, find a great company 
and and make that happen. So very cool story. You know, man, I, I'm just really curious now. Who are you? Who are who is who is Josh? Take me back in time to like little Josh days. Did you always know you're gonna be crushing it in the army and then then you know going to business and and buying a business and being the boss and all that? Uh, no, you know, I, I didn't know probably until my sophomore, you know, until high school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, I grew up, I, I kind of like lived all around the Midwest. I lived in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Ohio. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and then my sophomore or junior year of uh, high school, I decided I wanted to go to West Point. And so, you know, I knew I had to do a lot of prep for that. I never, I wasn't really on like a sports team. I didn't have any leadership roles. So I just really dedicated myself to everything it would take to go to West Point. Um, and so, you know, I'd start like running on a treadmill. I'd do like one mile and then two miles. And I joined a cross country and track team. I was running like two miles or two times a day. Um, I spent a lot of time in the gym. You know, I like started a club at school, trying to get some leadership experience. Um, and yeah, I just became really dedicated to that. And um, I got in and went to West Point. Thought it was Super like a great what, what clicked for you where you're like, yeah, I'm going to go to West Point. Was there a moment? Do you remember that moment or was it just sort of an evolution? I think it was an evolution. Um, you know, I was in seventh grade during 9-11 and, you know, growing up in high school and middle school, you know, that's when the wars were really happening in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, you know, yeah. I supported the U.S. there and I, I wanted to be involved. And I thought that, you know, like I could join the army and I can be involved in that. Um, so that was exciting to me. And, you know, it's something I knew you can only be in the army when you're or in the military when you're a certain age. You know, you can't join when you're 30 or 40. I guess you can, but most people don't. Um, so I knew it was something I had to do now or never. That gets hard, man. I, I, I went to boot camp at like 24. Cause I went already, I went weird. I like went to college and then I went to boot camp just for, for fun to get in shape, to go to OCS. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah. Um, and then, you know, here I am like 24, but they're all 19. Right. <laughs> and, and they're calling me the old man of the Marine Corps. So I was like, you're right, man. You got, you gotta, you gotta do it early. So that's cool that you somehow something sort of, you know, when we're young too, like who even knows, but somehow it all came together and you're like, you know what, not that I want to do this, but you took action in that direction too. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew, I knew it'd be really challenging. And I, I've always kind of thought that, you know, I'll, I'll try and find whatever the hardest thing is to do and I'll do that and hopefully I'll be successful. Yeah. It sounds like it. Right. Cause after that, then you're like, Hmm, let me, let me see. Let's, let's get into Harvard. <laughs> and, then, and then after that, Hey, let me buy a business, <laughs> which after I've now learned is a pretty damn hard thing to do, but man, when you do it right, you really, um, so that that's amazing. And, and had you thought, you know, maybe be in the army for the rest of your life or do a life or thing. And at what point were you like, cool, did my time, served my country, got back mm -hmm. at Osama. What's next? Yeah, I mean, when I was at West Point, even when I was like in my first couple of years in the army, I definitely thought that I would spend a career. Yeah. Um, and I got to, you know, my first um, like leadership role in the army, I was a platoon leader in Afghanistan, uh, like a nice. rifle platoon leader. That's like the most fun job you can have as a That's the epitome of it, right? That That is the, the officer position that kicks the most ass, commands the most respect, can't hide anywhere. Yeah. And, and I knew like, you know, so after I did that, I kind of thought like, am I ever going to have as exciting as a, of a role as this again? Um, and then I did, you know, I had two other leadership roles in the army, but I just kind of saw that, you know, the wars were dying down and, you know, again, that first role was awesome. And I just don't know if I'll find something again like this in the army. Um, and I, you know, I think I'm an entrepreneur at heart and I was just looking for the next challenge. And I knew that business the next challenge, right? Absolutely. Otherwise you're going to be stuck on some fob somewhere, security, 
platoon and what what are we doing right yeah um, i just yeah. wanted to find something hard <laughs> yeah the next challenge that it seems like a thing right the next challenge the next challenge are you still in the challenge or do you need more do you need people to reach uh, out with more challenge or are you good <laughs> no running the small business is challenging <laughs> there's yeah. a lot so i feel very challenged and you know we're growing as a company and i know that there'll be newer and newer challenges that come up as time goes on um growth just creates challenges yeah. So to me, that's really exciting. Um, so yeah, no, I, totally I, feel, agree. I feel very challenged. Well, I have a hypothetical question for you. Mm-hmm. So um, I may or may not have a time machine behind my house in Nashua, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. It might be covered with a tarp, you know, out back. So uh, we get you come up here. We get some beers. We go use the time machine, right? It takes you back in time to a few days after graduating West Point, a few days, just in case there's a celebration, right? And you get to go meet yourself back then. What kind of advice, what kind of recommendations, what things would you tell yourself if you could have a little short conversation? Yeah, there's probably a lot of things, but I think the biggest thing I'd say is, you know, I, I, to advocate for myself. Um, one of the things when I was like a junior army officer, you know, I wanted to go to this like special forces type unit. Um, and, I, and I told my boss about that and, you know, he said, and when I was deployed in Afghanistan at the time, he said, okay, no problem, we're back, you know, we'll let you apply. And so I kind of just like trusted that and, and waited and let other people advocate for me. And by the time we got back and I applied, they already filled up for my year group and you know, I wasn't able to do that. And I think that was something like really affected me. And I really thought about um, how I should be advocating for myself. It's one of the things that pushed me to entrepreneurship. I think people have that if they work at like a large company for a long time and, you know, you get passed over for promotion I think things like that happen and they just push people to entrepreneurship where they say, look, I'd rather work for myself. I think I can do the best that way. Yeah. You know, as much as people, mentors, leaders may or may not care about you, no one's going to stick up for you like yourself. And if you can't do it, then they're probably going to do it less. That's a, that's a huge point. That's a yeah. huge point, man. Um, and would you listen to yourself? Um, would you know. young listen stubborn. to current you? <laughs> I'm not sure. I was definitely pretty stubborn back then. I think I would have right. maybe. Now, would you have younger you standing at parade rest or would you be uh, having a beer, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Um, great advice, though. Great advice advocating for yourself. Um, but tell me about what you're up to lately, you know, when you're not crushing your business game. I, you keep it fit. You, you, know, you mentioned, you know, rock climbing out, out west, but now you're back east. So what have you been doing for fun lately? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I lived in Washington state. That's where I met my wife. Um, she's from there. So we're in Washington state, you know, we spent all our time outdoors. I mean, it's so beautiful. There are so much to do. God, it's um, amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like, it's really nice. Um, Boston's nice too, but it doesn't have the mountains or at least that's yeah. close by. And yeah. There's an element of wild to Washington, right? Like I remember my parents had a, moved out there for a little bit and, and behind the house, there was this, cliff you could climb down and then there was just like wild woods and then some raging river going through it like out of some movie you're like where and you would probably see creatures there that you wouldn't see you know in, in brooklyn or brookline <laughs> right or or you know or southie right it's like it's pretty wild yeah, yeah brookline's got the turkeys but that's about it right yeah oh gobble yeah a little gobble gobble you'd have like you know i don't know like mountain cats or just things stalking through the woods and it's crazy, crazy out yeah. there. So what, what brought you out here though? Was it the business? Was it that process of buying it? 
Uh, to business school. So my, my parents actually moved here from Columbus um, a few years ago. Gotcha. And so I was, you know, like, I, if I can go to business school right down the street from my parents and, you know, I was in the army, I was never around. So I was in Washington state or I was deployed. So being able to be near them was great. And I see them all the time. COVID's made that harder, but yeah, um, being near my family is really nice. Yeah. That's sick, man. Um, any big adventures planned in the future? Any big challenges? Um, my wife and I have been getting into like Spartan races and Tough Mudders. So oh, wow. We're going to try and do like a longer and longer one. I think the longest one we did was like a 10 miler, but we're going to try and go further. Oh yeah. They they'll they'll take it as long as you want, man. They, they create those things. You're like, Oh, I wonder what 20 K would feel like. And then as soon as you're done one, you you'll find out there's a 50 and then there's a hundred and then there's a keep running all night. And you know, <laughs> no, there's crazy. Dude, yeah. That's awesome that you're, you're doing that and you're doing it together too. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Um, yeah, they're they're a blast. They always have like fun obstacles. Um, you know, the first it's always like the first thing you get really muddy or it's really terrible. But then after that, you're just like, okay, I don't care. Like I'm muddy. I'm you know I'm I'm dirty already. I'll do whatever. Totally. I haven't done one yet, but like, tell me about the. I know about those like little electrical strings. Sometimes these, and that just seems like it would hurt like hell. Does it? And then have you done those? Yeah, it gives you more of a jolt than you expect. Um, I'm sure when you get hit by them. It's like, Whoa, like that really got me. Um, the trick to that is you just got to go full speed, go through it. Some people will try and go slow and maneuver and then they're just getting shocked and shocked. Shock, and shocked. Shock, shock. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so you just got to go head, like head first and run through it. And are you covering your face or were you just, you just, and you're <laughs> probably screaming just to keep pushing through it. That's interesting. Yeah. And they typically do it. It's like one of the last things. So you've yeah. got a lot of adrenaline. You just want to be finished. So you're like, whatever it takes to finish this. It's like, not like getting there, but like, let me put one more obstacle before you get here. <laughs> it's just going to shock you a little bit. Um, yeah. Maybe it's just to wake up people that had fallen asleep as they were running through. It's like, hey, the end is coming up. Wake up, you know? It sounds scary. You know, you hear like the electrical shocks going. It's like, wow, this is serious. Or you hear it too, man. Oh, yeah. what a, that's a mind game, huh? That's like, did you have, have any of that in the army? Any of the training? Did you have... Um, never with like, a, I guess, yeah, never like electrical like that, but right. you know, the army always, one of the things that I think the army does great in training is they always push you just a little bit outside your comfort zone, whether that's like with like heights or, you know, like any, yeah, whatever it is, they're always just pushing you a little bit further. And once you get through that and you succeed, you really feel good and it builds up your confidence. Yeah. Um, I think the army does a great job with that. Yeah. The, it's like a, the sensitization to, to crap, you know, you're like, well, yeah, that, that's not very, that's kind of, kind of miserable, but it could be worse. You know, you just get, you get like comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, which I think really helps in like business as well. You're like, yeah. yeah, this might be bad, but it could be worse. It can always be worse. Uh, I think for <laughs> me, it was doing a rifle drill in the middle of the night in the South and just mosquitoes just landing on my shaven head. Uh, biting me nothing i can do about it because we're just standing at you know whatever um and, and you just you feel them like land and you're like well i really wish i could tell them to go away you know <laughs> they're just they're having a little feast they're having like one of those little all you can eat buffets on your head and meanwhile you know you're trying to get some maneuver correct and somebody's messing it up somewhere right that's forcing oh, you yeah. all to keep doing it that sounds terrible yeah, yeah. I always found like anything cold was really awful like you know you just like go numb and that's just not fun cold is not fun either i agree i agree man well hey where can people connect with you they want to reach out they just want to connect you know fellow ceo or 
or entrepreneur or even someone that heard your story, they just want to, what are some good social platforms? Yeah. So, you know, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, my company website is shipmercury.com. Okay. Um, and, you know, people could reach out to me anytime LinkedIn about, you know, whether you have a question about shipping, want to talk about shipping or logistics, or if you want to talk about buying a company, entrepreneurship through acquisition, I'm happy to help. Yeah. Real quick. T- tell us about the shipping logistics and, and, and who can you help and, and how do you guys help them? Yeah. So, uh, so Mercury has been around for 37 years now. Um, so we've, we've been around for a while. Um, and, you know, we're a shipping company. We focus on three segments. We have healthcare, life sciences, professional services, and then hardware technology companies. And we, we kind of think that there's like four things people want out of their shipping. We've tried to build a company around that. So we think, you know, first is responsiveness. Um, if you have a shipping issue or a shipping question, you want a real person to talk to right away. Um, and so that's something we offer. We have no 1-800 number. We've got an experienced team. You know, we answer the phones right away. We track our response times to email and we respond very fast. Um, so that's the first thing we think people want out of their shipping company that we offer. Um, second, we think people want value. Nobody wants to overpay for their shipping. Right. And so we do so much shipping volume that we get really great rates from all the different carriers. We pass that on to our customers and we have you know, no added fees. There's no like monthly contract. People don't believe me about that. They think that like, there's no way we can offer better service and lower pricing, but we often do. Um, third, we offer guidance. You know, some shipments are really simple. You know, you're shipping like an envelope through FedEx. That's pretty easy. You're shipping a box of you know frozen reagents to you know Germany. That's not going to be as easy. And right. we've got an experienced team that helps out. We we uh, you know we answer questions. We help with customs documentation. Um, any questions that people have. Um, and, and last, we offer a comprehensive solution. So uh, we are a single point of contact for all of your shipping, whether that's like express packet shipping through FedEx, UPS, DHL, same day couriers. We have a network of same day couriers throughout the entire U.S. Uh, we have like a network of what's called local cartage agents. They do like inside deliveries for medical devices um, all over the U.S. We've got an international network of cold chain agents. So we do a lot of uh, dryest replenishment shipments. You know, you have okay. a, some sort of like box with uh, some sort of sample that's frozen on dry ice. It gets shipped somewhere. When it's in customs, it can get stuck and the dry ice can sublimate. It gets destroyed. Um, and so we've got a local agent there. We, we prepare the paperwork. They can go in. They can replenish the dry ice. Um, so we've kind of got those four things that we offer, responsiveness, value, guidance, and a comprehensive solution. And I, I hear you on the medical, like you definitely can't, you know, you don't have your uncle Bob shipping <laughs> reagents and biologicals. And, uh, but you mentioned the professional services, which caught my attention. Now, what do you do a lot of shipping on the pro side services side? Yeah. Uh, you know, originally it was like, we'd serve law firms, uh, law firms have original documents that they need signed. Oh, um, yeah. so that was really important. There's still more original documents than you think, or, Documents get sent somewhere, they have to get returned somewhere and signed. Uh, we do a lot of lab comps. That's a really common thing now, especially during the pandemic. So, you know, an office manager who's got to send a bunch of laptops to their employees or retrieve laptops from employees who've moved on. Uh, we do a lot of trade show shipping. Um, so those are some of the more common. Uh, or swag, cool. that's another really common one, like new employee swag. Oh, you might have a bunch yeah. of kits you sent out. We manage all that. We make it really easy. Can, can we like have all the swag at your place and then just send a request and then it has, it goes off to them kind of simplified. Yep, that happens or you know or people would just say hey i've got these hundred boxes they have to go out to these hundred addresses we send a courier we pick up all hundred bring them in label them send them out we proactively track every single shipment we do um so that we know if there's problems before our customers know and we solve issues and reach out to them so it's kind of a, another thing we do for our customers sweet man i, I didn't i did not have anyone any contacts we do a lot of marketing and trade shows and whatnot and have not had a shipping con 
contact or anyone, no, no personally. So I'm great to have met you and hope, you know, people listening now have someone they can think about next time they want to ship something, especially in those use cases. Cool stuff, man. I appreciate you being on here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's been, it's been great. I've learned a bunch. And for those people listening, if you've learned something, share this with someone else. That's how you become a thought leader is just taking one piece of data and sending it out to two people. Um, and that's how you spread the word, get other people listening. And who knows you, some of the people listening to the show might end up on the show um, soon enough, all that good time. So Josh, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Casey. All right, everybody. This has been leadership in action. We will catch you all next time. Leadership in action is sponsored by the Boston chapter of the entrepreneurs organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.